dangerously close. This episode was brought to you by William Michelotio. Are you tired of all your audio projects sounding like this? When you'd rather have them sound like this. Then go to williammitchellaudio.com. My guest today is Avanti Centre. Avanti is an international best-selling and nine-time award-winning author who blends intrigue, history, science, and mystery into non-stop action thrillers. What's up, Avanti? Hey, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. Oh, I was before I hit record. I like I was like I was just telling you I just got back in town, and just as like uh. To tell just to show you how much I have been really enjoying reading your book, I was yeah. I had a flight from Seattle back to Nashville, and so that's like on the way back it's faster, so it's like only like four hours, and it right. was like and I had and I've been reading your book, so I was so excited. I was like, all right, like this is gonna make this flight just breeze by, and I was uh-huh. so happy. And then these ladies a few like a few rows back decided to get like super crunk, and oh, no. they were so loud. <laughs> And I'm usually like, I can focus, like I can like deal with like a, you know, like a crying baby, you know, like, cause it's sure that's more like just a sound. That's just kind of like, you can, it'll eventually tones out. But uh, anyway, I will never, ever forgive those women for uh, not letting me read your book on the plane. Cause I was so into oh. it. I was at a, I was at a, such a crucial point too. It was a very exciting point in the book. And I was, Anyway, I just wanted to use that as, as an example of how much I've been enjoying reading your book is that I will I'm I will hold a lifetime vendetta against the drunk ladies on the plane who wouldn't let anybody chill. I mean, I, I didn't hear. I mean, but once I gave up on the book, I just put my headphones in and just listened to music. So, it, yeah, it was still a pleasant yeah. flight, but yeah, well, you know, hopefully, you know, you found other times to take a look at it and, and they'll get theirs, you know, they'll they'll be trying to focus on something else someday and, and uh, you know, they won't be able to do that. Oh, yeah. And I was already most of the way before I got on that plane. I thought I was going to finish on the plane. But that's good because sometimes uh, when I'm interviewing an author, I'm always so worried I'm going to spoil an ending just somehow. So fortunately... <laughs> Even I don't know how this ends yet, and I, oh. I can't. I'm gonna. I will find out actually, probably tonight when I sit down and finish reading this book. So, uh, yeah, hey, it's it's there's some surprises there at the end. It's would you even? I know that this is a thriller, but also I feel like it's a mystery, and that's one of the things I'm like. It's such a. That's why like every chapter that ends, I'm like, oh man, I gotta go again. Like I gotta another, get another one in because the mystery cliffhanger. Oh yeah, I love I love writing those cliffhangers, you know, throwing them in. I like you know short punchy chapters and a lot going on, and uh, yeah, gotta gotta keep the readers turning the pages. That's a lot of fun. Do you feel like do, does it annoy you when people compare your work to like other stuff that like other types of? Not at all. Oh, because I was gonna say like, what to remind gro- you of? Growing up, Indiana Jones, the Indiana Jones uh-huh. movies were like probably in my top favorite movies, like all three of them, the whole trilogy. I would watch them oh, yeah. over and over and over and over again. And there's, I feel like there's some Indiana Jones in here. 
<laughs> but of course, I'm a like child mixed... of the eighties. I'm a child of the eighties. So yeah, yeah, totally influenced by Indiana Jones and Tomb Raider. And I feel like there's a little mission impossible in there too. Oh yeah. Yep. I definitely, I caught that even maybe uh-huh. some born, born identity when some, uh, when there's some action, when there's some fighting, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yep. but, but also there's like a, a ton of historical stuff in here. That's, uh, so man, I didn't even mention the title of the book of your, you've written several books and this is Cleopatra's Vendetta. And there's some really cool stuff. You know, this made me go back and do just a little bit more Cleopatra research because I'd forgotten so much. Uh-huh. And also, I, I liked when you're in the book, you're talking about like how she's so misrepresented in so many ways. Yeah. So, um, so many ways. I was going to ask you, like, do you consider Cleopatra to be one of the first rulers to use like sophisticated or more sophisticated public relations tactics? You know, at during her time, I think both her and the Romans were using sophisticated PR tactics. One could call them propaganda tactics, and we delve into that in, in the book. Um, to, to do research for this novel, I read a couple of biographies, and one of them was by Stacey Schiff, and she highlighted that um, the Romans had used numerous leaflets and Um, they've spread these leaflets all over town calling Cleopatra and Mark Antony, um, you know, uh, harlots and evil. And they made statues ooze blood. Um, And so you have on one side, um, you know, Octavian, who was Cleopatra and Mark Antony's mortal enemy, you know, using these leaflets to build up the army. And on the other side, you had, um, Mark Anthony and Cleopatra. And I'm not sure I, in my historical research, I didn't really come across how good they were at um, public relations and propaganda. Um, but the other side certainly was. And one could make an argument that that's how they lost the war, because Octavian, who was this morose little short man uh, who wore lifts in his heels, um, he uh, he was successful at raising a bigger army. And I think it cost him. And so uh, Octavian, he was, he's the adopted son of Julius Caesar, right? He's not. Or nephew. I think he might've been like the grand nephew and he was the, the surprise heir. Yeah. There's like the, there's the, was it the, the triumvirate. So there was, so after Julius Caesar was also, yeah, I guess people, so just to kind of clarify for anybody that's forgotten their Cleopatra history, uh, Cleopatra had a son with Julius Caesar named Caesarian. And then Julius Caesar returns to Rome. He's betrayed, you know, like we all know from Shakespeare, Brutus uh-huh. stabs him, all that. The Ides uh, of March. Yeah. And so what I, I don't remember the third guy of the triumvirate. I know there was Octavian who was, yeah, he was Caesar's heir. He was like, but he wasn't a, a direct lineage son. There's Mark Anthony. He was a general. Uh, so I don't know, kind of a game of Thrones thing happening with all these guys. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, they they stabbed Julius Caesar and and didn't even try to hide it. Right. You know, they ran through the streets of Rome uh, with blood on their white togas. Um, You know, I forget what they shouted, but, you know, something death to Julius Caesar. Um, I think that didn't work out. That that was the uh, that was the one common when Mark Anthony and Octavian were still allies. Wasn't that their their the main thing they had in common is they wanted to avenge the death of Julius Caesar. Am I correct? Well, and, and Mark Antony even, I think married Octavian's sister. 
Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah, yeah. That's another reason and why Octavia blew was her so off pissed. for Cleopatra. Yeah. yeah, talk about a soap opera. Because that's what yeah, that's oh, what yeah. happened. He, first, so yeah, he he married her, and her name was Octavia, right? Like they had almost the same name, I think. It was like Octavia and Octavian. Like yeah. they, they they didn't have a lot of names back then. Yeah. Everybody had almost the exact same name. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so yeah, first he just kind of like abandoned her to go live in Alexandria with Cleopatra and then later on fully divorced her and married Cleopatra. Right. Was it, were they, I think. I, I don't remember those details. I was more focused on kind of some of the, you know, interesting details about Cleopatra that would tie into a, th a thriller. Oh yeah. Um, you're, you're probably right. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. I, honestly, I, I'm kind of like, there's a little bit of a fog where I can't tell, I can't remember what I learned from your book or what I learned, <laughs> uh, like on my side research being like, Oh, I want, what's, you know, uh -huh. cause that, that naval battle that you, you know, this, you start the book with the naval battle and that's, you know, that's something I was really interested in too. That was, that was cause I guess, uh, Cleopatra yeah. and Mark Anthony, they broke from Rome. They were going to, uh, start a, Egyptian Roman dynasty of their own and Octavian was able to get the whole Roman army behind him right right there was a civil war going on between Octavian and Mark Antony and it was the the propaganda that Octavian used um, helped him really build that army and so uh, so so basically this this story kind of takes off from there um, with Cleopatra trying to avenge uh herself um, with the fictional idea that Octavian headed a cult that still survives to this day. Yeah, the sons so that's of kind Adam. of the, the premise. <laughs> yeah, that's that's sort of the, the premise behind the novel is she's trying to avenge herself. Um, and uh, Tim and Angie Stryker get kind of caught up in that. Um, but but yeah, it was uh, so much fun researching Cleopatra. She was one of the first to put her image on coins. Um, her city had coin operated vending machines, if you can imagine. Yeah. Um, you know, 2000 years ago. So Alexandria was um, it was sort of the the New York of the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very advanced, far more so than Rome. Um, Julius Caesar uh, adopted the Egyptian calendars. So we, we still live, you know, with July and August, we still live with um, some of uh, what, um, you know, they, what, what Julius and Octavian decided to take advantage of, you know, Egyptians technology at the time. The that was actually calendar. something that uh, I do specifically remember that I did uh, learn from your book and not from uh, <laughs> elsewhere was uh, <laughs> that uh, Alexandria was high tech or for the time it was high tech and, yeah, I guess like mm -hmm. probably the most impressive thing is that they had coin operated vending machines. But yeah. uh, would you say they had like they had uh, escalators or elevators? Yeah, some sort of, you know, automatic moving um, treadmill type things. Like people yeah. movers, like at the airport. Yeah, people movers. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And the main street was wide enough to hold like eight chariots abreast, something like that. Yeah. Um, Wow, yeah, crazy. it was, it must have been just an amazing city. And so, yeah, so after that naval battle, Cleopatra and Mark Anthony kind of ran back there with their tails between their legs, knowing that Octavian was going to come and take over. So they had like eight months 
to figure out, oh, crap, what do we do when he comes to our shores? Because um, it seems like their, you know, armies were pretty decimated at that point. And sure enough, yeah. uh, it sounds like <clears throat> the instant Octavian showed up on their shores, you know, it, it wasn't even really a battle. So that's why you've got the classic scene of Mark Anthony trying to commit suicide and failing um, and getting and, and Cleopatra going into this mausoleum. So she had, you know, eight months to build this, you know, mausoleum and treasury um, as her last stand and ended up getting arrested and, and taken there under house arrest. So she had quite a bit of time to plan for, um, you know, her suicide. And, you know, this this idea of uh, dying by the snake historians have um, argued about for for centuries. Yeah. 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 Sure. I, uh, when you brought that up, that was one of the things that I thought when we talk about Alexandria being more advanced technologically than Rome, mm -hmm. uh, even though you know, I guess R Rome was a very militarized uh, city state. And that's, you know, that's where the power came from was the military. But right. uh, Alexandria and Egypt just had a lot of, you know, they were very advanced, like further advanced in other ways. And one of the ones that I thought was just kind of, if you think it's the way that Mark Anthony decides to kill himself, is he like wedges his sword in like between a couple of rocks on the ground and then falls onto it. Like that's, that was his, that's how he chose to try and kill himself. And it didn't work like immediately. So, it, so basically he fell on a sword and then took like two days to die, which is, such a horrible yeah the worst way to and then of course cleopatra i don't hold know my I, beer yeah, yeah. <laughs> hold up. I, let I, me show you how to kill yourself i totally yeah. can believe that she what i i mean because i know that there's some things that said that like she had worked with poisons i mean she knew and she mm -hmm. might have poisoned herself but i do think it's like way cooler to say that she killed herself with a cobra mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a better it's a better myth <laughs> And, and well, and what's interesting to me is that, um, you know, if, if we look at some of what was culturally going on at the time, right, you had the cobra, which for, I don't know, a thousand, two thousand years in Egypt was a sign of divinity, right? It was the pharaohs and the cobra and the snake was revered. Um, Egypt was very much an agricultural uh, center. That's, I think, where all their money came from, because they had learned how to um, grow food with the Niles rise and fall and the, the rich um, soil that they had. And so snakes kept rats out of the storeroom and tr could transform themselves, lose their skin and all that. So snakes were, you know, the bomb. Um, and then on the other side, you've got the Judeo-Christian um, uh, myth of Adam and Eve, right? Where the yeah. snake is evil yeah, and yeah. the snake tempts Eve to, you know, eat of the, the fruit. Um, and so you've got this, uh, this culture war, uh, with the snake and is the snake good or bad? Right. Um, and so I think that was a, a pivotal time, um, in, uh, in that whole thing. And so it's, it's interesting to me and, and we don't really, um, you know, learn until the, the end of the story exactly why in my fictional world, Cleopatra chose to, to die the way she did. Um, but it's, it's, it's all fun, fun supposition. Yeah. yeah and, uh, and it's wild that you brought that up that, uh, so, I mean, obviously snakes, super important in this culture. 
uh, Isis, the god that Cleopatra most identifies with, and uh, yeah. she often like dresses herself as Isis. But Isis is also often depicted as a snake, right? Right, or half a snake. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But- lots of iconography about you know half people, half snakes. Um, Isis has snakes around her arms, um, and uh, you know throughout the book, this this becomes important. Um, but uh, but yeah, so you've got the the cool snake, you know, with the Egyptians, yeah. right? Yeah. And then on on the other side, you've got the Romans who are like, "Oh snakes yeah, snakes devil. are bad," <laughs> right? Exactly. And and how much yeah. of that was, you know, trying to, um, you know, overthrow the the pagan uh, culture of the Egyptians? How much of that was trying to, um, you know, gain gain control? Um, you know, because we've seen throughout history how how religions have taken over the the myths of the indigenous peoples, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So how much of that s- snake myth was to abscond with the Egyptian? Uh... So I believe like she she would have died in like 30 BC, right? So, mm-hmm. so I mean, like the Roman Empire would have Christianized. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, not that long after. Exactly. You know, so she died um, 30 years before the birth of Christ. Um, so, so yeah, kind of right on the heels of, of that. But you had, um, you know, Moses, I think, was 1500 years uh, before the time of Christ, something like that. Yeah. So you had that, you know, the whole idea of, of one God. Uh, you know, the monotheistic ideas um, had been around for um, for quite some time at that point. So, yeah. So the story of Adam, of, Adam and Eve is, you know, that's much, 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 much older. Is that like a millennia older than Christ? Right. Um, exactly. I'm not, I promise I'm not going to just only talk to you about Cleopatra, but I did want to just talk about another thing. And it's because you bring it up. Uh, no, it's when it's you're, all good. I think Sam is the name of the character who brings up a, uh-huh. an important point. Samantha. Samantha, yep, Sam. uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like the, I mean, it's almost a propaganda thing in and of itself, the way that the Roman uh, historians de- in it depict Cleopatra. I don't know if it's uh, deliberate or if, if maybe, here, I'll just, uh, I think I wrote a question. Oh, it's right here. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I don't have to just try and <laughs> pull it out of my head. I was just saying that, you know, Roman historians really tried to pigeonhole Cleopatra as just a, a wily seductress and not give her credit for being masterful at statecraft. And I was in your opinion, I was just going to wonder, like, do you think that's just a, like ancient misogyny? Like maybe these guys just don't, they can't like, because they have such a, uh, their culture is so uh, kind of anti-woman in Rome that that's just how they truly perceive it to be. Or do you think it was deliberate propaganda to try to make Cleopatra seem lesser than uh, she was? You know, I think it was probably a little bit of both. Um, for our listeners, one of the interesting things that I came across while I was researching this novel was that Romans at the time um, would kill their second-born daughters. So the first-born daughters would live, but the second-born daughters they would kill. And it could be because you were, as you mentioned, they were a very militarized society, but they also were, you know, uh, a barefoot and pregnant kind of culture where they wanted their women just to be 
breeding children. And um, Egypt was not at all like that. Egypt, um, women owned property and businesses and uh, could divorce their husbands if their husbands beat them, that sort of thing. Um, so you had this interesting clash of cultures. Um, so when you think about, all right, so Octavian ruled for over 40 years after he um, defeated Cleopatra and Mark Antony. And I think he probably, um, you know, wanted to take over Egypt. And usually when a, a ruler uh, conquers a, a nation, um, the first thing they do is they just like when a, a new CEO comes in, yeah. right? <laughs> um, you have to change things. You have to make the old CEO look bad. You have to make the old ruler or the old king or the old pharaoh look bad. And so it was probably part of just that common statecraft of, you know, chest thumping and I'm I'm the new guy in town and, you know, I'm great and she was crap. Um, but there could have also been some uh, just, you know, we want to impose our cultural will on the Egyptians as well, because the Romans were, you know, they were expanding, taking over the world. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that often happens, um, as well, even today. I mean, look at what the Russians are doing with Ukraine. You know, they're, they're kidnapping Ukrainian children. So this concept of, of trying to, um, you know, make, make the conquered people, part of your culture um i think the the romans did as well and so it just their their culture was just far more misogynistic than the egyptians yeah as and i correct me if i'm wrong but like as i recall i believe octavian might have been the first like in when uh when rome truly became imperial meaning they had emperors and it became less democratic i think that started with octavian and then from there on in Egypt, they called the emperors of Rome uh, the Roman pharaohs. Like, <laughs> sounds sounds right to me. Yeah, yeah, Sorry, yeah. It allergies. would have been a fascinating time to be alive. Yeah. Um. Okay, I promise this is the <laughs> this is the end of of me and just diving into this kind of historical period. But I had to just uh. If there's another there's another conversation in the book, and that's why I kind of had this question popped into my head. I know you've already answered a lot of it, but if you don't mind, I would like to maybe just not at all take one more swing just at this at this like this little war between Cleopatra with Mark Anthony versus Octavian, and you were just discussing, uh, you know, the like how they were heavily heavily using militarized propaganda, and I know you said uh, leaflets was a like a mm -hmm. major tool. But uh, but what would it look like in that time period? Like and you know, before we like kind of shift to modern times, like what? Because I guess this is the seeds. Like you know, now we've got uh, you know, like yeah, like you said, like Russian troll farms, you know, getting on our social media. <laughs> you know, like we do, that's, yeah. But I mean, there must. So, I mean, in, in so many ways, you can draw parallels, right? Oh, absolutely. Tons of parallels. And that was one of the neat parts about writing this book was I was able to throw in the the history of propaganda um, in the hopes that um, because it is still so much a part of what we deal with every day. And um, I, I my my hope is that people will their eyes will be a little bit opened to how propaganda has been used for thousands of years and how people are trying to sway our opinions every day and how we just need to think for ourselves and do our own research. Um, 
to answer your question about what it would have looked like back in the day, I believe they had both uh, leaflets and um, and posters, right? So, uh, you know, kind of what we might have had 40, 50 years ago where, you know, you were walking down the street and somebody handed you a, a trifold pamphlet, you know, hey, yeah. check out, you know check out Jehovah's Witnesses or, you know, go to this concert or, you know, have you, it's open enrollment or whatever, you know, here's, here's a pamphlet about this. And then, you know, poster on the wall, you know, coming soon, uh, Depeche Mode. Um, so I, I think it probably would have been both of those kinds of things, but um, they, they also, uh, one of the other visuals that really stuck with me was um, they, they made statues bleed. So in Greece, for instance, there were statues of Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, and uh, somehow they they made them bleed. So I don't know if they just painted, you know, blood coming out of their eyes, um, or or quite how they how they would have done that. Um, but yeah, they they pulled out all the stops to make Cleopatra and Mark Anthony look bad. I don't. This is totally off topic, but you just remind. I'm in Seattle. There's a a statue of Joseph Stalin that they just purchased from Russia that because like they didn't really want it anymore. And, but uh -huh. so many people really do not like Joseph Stalin. So they, someone just took a bucket of red paint and dipped his hands in it. So his hands are dipped in blood and yeah. no one has done it. I think it's, it's been left that way for years. So, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite landmarks of that city. Oh, um, no, he was a killer. Yeah. Uh, that's, I know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he gets a lot of a lot of credit, you know, and, uh, you know, especially the way we're taught here in the U.S., because the thing is, the Russia was our ally in World War Two. Mm -hmm. But I mean, he wanted to be allies with Hitler. That was his that was his goal. And it was just that Hitler was far more ambitious and decided to invade, you know, uh, Russia and break their peace treaty. Mm -hmm. so who knows what could have happened if hitler hadn't done that yeah probably, those guys i mean we'd all be speaking german <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad we're speaking english i want to say that uh, we kind of started going down this road but jumping ahead to modern warfare uh you talk about uh deep fake technology and ai generated social media accounts what do you think is currently the most powerful weapon in modern propaganda warfare Mm, that's a great question. I have a background in technology, um, actually a computer degree from Purdue, and it's been really fascinating to see how um, technology has changed. Uh, I'm not going to say when I got my degree, but it's been a decade or so. Um, and so, you know, the rise of the Internet has been both a blessing and a curse, right? Um, we, we now have the ability to research anything. Uh, we can do these kind of podcasts. Entertainment is at our fingertips, but it is also super easy for, um, for like you said, those Russian trolls to spin up fake accounts. And, and um, in this, in this uh, story, they're, they're doing that. Um, the Sons of Adam are spinning up fake accounts. And just on Twitter yesterday, I saw an article about how uh, AI uh, personas are taking over the world. Uh, it's so easy now to create a false persona that um, even with, um, so, you know, those of us who enjoy spy novels, uh, we're aware that there's people in the background that create uh, legends for our, for our heroes and, uh, Timothy Stryker and his team of misfits are, are no exception. Um, there's 
Um, it, it used to be that they, you know, had to create the, the false passport and, you know, perhaps, uh, you know, the, the schooling and the like. Nowadays, um, you can have a, a hacker spinning up a, a false persona um, with false LinkedIn accounts and false social media accounts. And you can go through and, um, gosh, I saw an example of a, a company who's um, the About Us page every person on there was not a person. They were an AI persona that uh, interacted. Um, in the story, the the personas, um, they write news stories. They uh, they blog. Um, in, in Twitter yesterday, I saw that they're answering questions like, you know, on answer.com or whatever. So I think that this poses humans uh, a real challenge with what to believe and i so i think we're having a crisis um back in the day you had laws against yellow journalism and in the 80s a lot of those laws expired and so there's no um no easy way to combat false information and so that's falling on the social platforms to uh combat and 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 that makes it difficult for the average person to know what to believe because and by, you've by got yellow, by yellow journalism you mean disinfo disinfo disinformation yeah. disguised as news right. <clears throat> yes exactly and so we have uh, a lot of that happening today and so you've got so many people that um don't know or are told that you know traditional media is all lies, so they believe everything that's in alternative media. Uh, you've got um, so much information that people don't know what to trust, and I think that's the biggest challenge that we have right now. Um, and so I think that what we need to start teaching in school is teaching people how to check sources yeah. Um, you know, um, and and verify the information. Um, and we need to teach people to listen to their gut. You know, if something sounds too outlandish, uh, drinking the blood of children, for instance, perhaps yeah. <laughs> it's 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 too outlandish. Well, you know, who was that? Laura Logan that just got that. Right. <laughs> got, she managed to get banned from Newsmax. It's practically right. impossible to do, but she she right. did it. They, I guess, draw the line at claiming that uh the government officials are drinking the blood of children just i don't want to be immortal i don't fucking know but <laughs> but uh yeah. do you mind if i uh this, this is not not <laughs> warfare related but it is just like my personal experience with yeah. just a, a daily thing and i on my instagram for this podcast i block like up to 20 like fake ai generated accounts or bot accounts a, a day you know it's it's un it's unbelievable how many of those I block, but I think some still slip through because I don't want to block someone who's actually a real person who really is a listener that, you know, so, mm -hmm. but like you're saying, some of them, they, some it's, that's the thing where you're just like, do you do go with your gut? Is this a fake account? A lot of times it's like, this looks like a real person, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the easiest ones for me to spot is if they're trying to sell me uh Bitcoin, or cryptocurrency yeah easy <laughs> easy easy as hell to block and I, I mean i don't as soon as i see the word forex in their bio block and same thing with like 
people that are like uh if it says in their bio like single yeah. <laughs> like that's also you know that they're fake but right i don't know i i know that was a tangent but i just feel like just me just being like a completely you know i i have it's I'm not like an important person, like in the, you know, in the government that needs to be swayed, We're but even struggling I'm struggling with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, me, um, you know, everybody out there. And, and that's why I felt like this book was, was timely because it was, uh, you know, trying to address some of that, that history. Um, you know, so when you think about propaganda being, it was used even, it was old, even in Cleopatra's time. Right. Um, yeah. and, uh, uh, Ray and uh, another character in the novel talk about talk about how old propaganda was and how it was used in the Civil War, you know, the Revolution, um, World War One and World War Two. It was used heavily, yeah. and uh, you know, and and you, the United States uses it, right? So it's it's not like it's um, you know just used by Eastern Bloc countries um you know the u.s has used it um advertisers use it right i mean marketing yeah. i think there's a difference between marketing and propaganda right with marketing you're you're sharing hey i have this product you might like it yeah. you know with propaganda you're you know hey my enemies drink the blood of children you know so outright lies and disinformation and uh, but it is pretty interesting to think about how bombarded we are with uh, with all of this information, much of which is, is false. And, you know, during an election cycle, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Oh God. It's exhausting. Although I will say, uh, as a counterpoint to, you know, as yeah, like much or most, if not most of propaganda is, you know, exaggerations or outright lies. I do. I will say there are times too, where propaganda can actually just use truth Mm-hmm. but that's that's uh, uh my main example the thing that popped into my mind is uh in world war ii uh buffalo soldiers and you know what i mean is like the the black platoons that were mm-hmm. being segregated from the white platoons often being sent on more dangerous missions the same thing was happening in vietnam too uh but there were propaganda and i think you know obviously it was it happened in both those wars but like the germans had uh uh, someone who spoke English, I think it might, you know, might've been a woman and they would broadcast it extremely loud or it would come through the radio and they would be talking to the, uh, to the U S troops that were in these segregated uh, black platoons. And they were like, Hey, you're being, you know, why are, why are you fighting for this country that treats you this poorly? They're, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not even equal as a soldier. And, Mm -hmm. and in that case, that propaganda is absolute. They were absolutely right, you know, and it probably yeah. swayed some people. Like I, I think if I, you know, it's so hard to put yourself in that position, but you know, it would be hard for you not to think. You know what? This Nazi propagandist is telling me the <laughs> truth. <laughs> like uh-huh. I am, I am being treated as a second class citizen in my own country. I'm being treated as a second class soldier in my own army. Why mm-hmm. am I fighting for these people? So that is once again a huge tangent. But I was just. To say that sometimes propaganda can be can be true. Yeah. Or or it can take part of the truth, you know, like even statistics, uh, you know, can can pull out pieces of the data. And and that's why it's 
so important, whether it's in people's, um, you know, workplace or social life or whatever, that they try to look at the big picture, that they try to get all the information, that they try to get information from multiple sources. Um, and, you know, when I'm researching a novel, I try to do the same thing, right? Uh, and so I, I think that's the, the best defense that each of us has um, against propaganda. But what do you think, you know, um, besides blocking, uh, you know, your strategy to, to block um, accounts that have single in them? What else do you do to combat the, the misinformation that's coming your way on a daily basis? Uh, well, the majority of news sources that I use, I trust almost implicitly. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's because like a lot of also a lot of where I get my news, it's been it's been digested. So it's not like like I do try to get a lot of raw news as well when I can, you know, like AP and stuff like that. But mm -hmm. uh, there's also just people that I find to be like intellectually like on point. They're really good at, you know, breaking things down. And then uh, once once it's gone through them, I feel like that gives me an opportunity. Like once it's been filtered through someone who I already respect as a as mm -hmm. uh, intellectually capable of understanding what they're reading. And and then when it comes then to me. I feel like I have yeah. a better opportunity to uh, do the same. And then of course I never, I do not, I don't consume my media from one source or two sources or three sources. I try to, uh, I mm -hmm. do my best to be, you know, to get whatever variety is available to me. And of course, uh, as an American, it's, it's as important whenever you can possibly can to uh, read foreign news mm. because because oftentimes you're going to get the truth from someone who's not obligated to maybe yeah. obfuscate the truth a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. The International Herald, when I was traveling, um, I got to travel quite a bit in the 80s. And a lot of that has inspired my writing. And, uh, you know, I, I remember reading the International Herald um, quite a bit when I was tromping about Europe and Central America, etc. It's that was a, a great source at the time. So that's those are clever, um, clever suggestions for your listeners. I like it. I'll give that. I'll give that a shot. I had a vice reporter on. Uh, well, he's he is no longer a vice reporter. He has since retired from Vice. But I I like to you know also just get a lot of like news sources like that. You know uh, the the people that just really get out there. Go you know go weird. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> and and it's it's difficult in a time like this where uh, you know. The Washington Post is owned by Jeff Bezos. Uh, right. Fairly soon, Twitter will be owned by Elon Musk. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, anything that's owned by Rupert Murdoch, I refuse to even touch. So mm -hmm. <laughs> that's what, that, this happens to me a lot on Twitter where uh, people that are just awful people will try to make a point to me by uh, sending me an article from the New York Post. And I'm like, I don't. I'm not going to read this. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. Just shut, <laughs> shut, shut the fuck up. <laughs> or you know, <laughs> sending me a YouTube, like a 27 minute YouTube, and they're like, "Do your research." And I'm like, "This is not research. This is, first of all, a moron made this YouTube video to begin with. You're ten times the moron for watching it and believing it. And I'm not going to waste my precious time of, in my life. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, I guess maybe to a certain extent, just being, just being a little bit cynical is a good defense. <laughs> <clears throat> I think it is. Yeah. Do you mind if I yep, uh, hit, the, you, hit you with an, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, the, I used to play basketball and the best defense was a good offense, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> assume, <laughs> assume they're lying to you. Uh, you know what? I, I do that a lot with, uh, I'm a 
I'm I'm a serious like bicycle dude. I love I love riding my bike. You know, I ride uh-huh. in cities. Uh yeah. in, in two weeks, I'm riding my bike from Nashville to New Orleans. Uh wow. one of one of my keys, I've been I've been hit by cars. You know, it's happened mm-hmm. to me. Uh mm-hmm. knock on wood. I've never been, you know, severely injured that way. But one of my things what I do, you know, when I'm in a city, especially like a very like bike unfriendly city, like the city I live, the city I live in is very bike unfriendly. And a lot of these, you know, rednecks and these trucks with the truck nuts, they they want to kill you, you know? They don't mm-hmm. they don't believe they should share the road with you. And so what I go, I go out with the mind state, the mind frame that every single vehicle, I don't think of it as a person. I don't think of that, you know, I don't think of personal. I just think yeah. of every single vehicle as something that wants to kill me. It's it's it arcs toward that rather than trusting anyone to do the right thing. And that yeah, keeps I had me from a, I drove hurt. a motorcycle. <laughs> For a while too, so I, I love road biking as well. Um, and back when I was in my twenties, I um, I got a motorcycle license, and uh, I lived in LA, and it was just impossible to get around um, in a car. So I I got a motorcycle and had the same philosophy, right? You know that every car out there might not see me, you know, so it might not be intentional that they want to kill me, but they may not see me. And uh, so yeah, I think that kind of um, strategy. Yeah. Serve, serves one well it's a it's not paranoia if it's true or or, or the other <laughs> way that's how, that's how i guess it's uh what is it like you might be paranoid but it could also be true i don't know there's a saying that i'm not i'm not grasping i'm not recalling it uh-huh. <laughs> but uh hey man sometimes paranoia might be the you know that is the best strategy hey do you mind if i right. hit you with, with another uh tech question not at all so okay, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna piss off a lot of people by saying this because it was so popular, but uh, I literally couldn't watch The Irishman by Martin Scorsese because the deep fake technology was so distracting to me, and and that was you know that was a big budget film with a great director, but the technology just isn't there yet to work for me personally, and mm-hmm. I've seen other films since then or TV shows where they try to do that deep fake, uh, you know like to, to show like a younger version of the same actor and it's just mm. uh, it's glaringly bad like uh what else they used it in, in boardwalk Empire, star wars they, yeah uh, yeah oh yeah star wars movies with that might be Princess some Leia. might be some of the best i've seen is the star wars but i was uh-huh. I was i was thinking of boardwalk empire where they tried to do a, a young steve buscemi and it's mm. i think it's called the uncanny valley where it's just disturbing uh because <laughs> uh-huh. it doesn't because it doesn't look like steve buscemi it looks like a it just it's just freaky but <laughs> but uh i was gonna say um do you think that there's military grade deep fake tech that's already been developed that could be used convincingly you know that's better than what hollywood has access to i do and and that's part of what drives this this novel um, so I, I do think it's possible that it's there. Um, it's been years since they released some of the, the algorithms that are driving, um, you know, the, the most popular, easy personas. And it's getting harder and harder and harder all the time to detect deep fakes uh, that are available to the general public. So, you know, when I think about what the what the military likely has um 
yeah, it's it's a little bit scary. I mean, yeah, what is their budget this year was seven hundred billion. They could probably yeah. develop some good deep deep fake. <laughs> right. Well, that, I mean, that was that's just our military, and who knows what they've got in China, Russia, everywhere. Right. All right. Well, guys, be careful. Exactly. Uh, be careful the next time you think that you're watching the president because it could totally just be an AI. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you think that the the one with Tom Cruise is good. You know. Yeah. You know what 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 could they you know show the the president doing or the vice president doing or, um, yeah. Yeah, in in the case of our story, the bad guys, the Sons of Adam, want to. They've they've been developing a deep fake that they plan to to use, um, and uh, and spur a, a a civil war. Yeah, and they're, yeah, and they're a you know a a, a singly purposed uh, paramilitary group that you right. know this is so, and it's you know it's been their goal for centuries to have this kind of tech and so yeah who knows i mean then who you know like like you're you know all the allies like they're allied in in your book they're allied with the catholic church they're allied with the mafia there's <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> i did want to ask you know you just asked me this question and i know that you answered uh-huh. it, uh yourself just to a certain extent uh maybe this is but maybe thinking just a little bit outside of just you know things we were saying we're like hey try to be savvy try to be critical but other than that, uh, maybe like on a grander scale, maybe, you know, maybe even going into tech. I don't know if you've thought that much about that or um, if it's even, you know, on the on the table with anyone right now. But what do you think are some other possible countermeasures uh, that could combat AI generated journalism and social media? Like like we were saying before, but maybe things that could be more. Uh, I almost want to I don't want to say foolproof, but you know, more than just me going like I think this is a bot or I think this is an AI yeah. generated story. Yeah. Yeah, so what's kind of interesting is that technology kind of um it it keeps up with itself, right? So on the on the bad side, you've got all these bad actors that are creating these um, you know, very suspicious deep fake videos. On the good side, you've got good guys that are developing technology to identify the deep fakes. And so there's um there's telltale signs uh in 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 some of the deep fake videos. I don't remember exactly what they all are, but there's things that uh you can look for. Um and and so they've developed artificial intelligence to look at other artificial intelligence to see if it's, is it perfect, you know, or is there a gap in the teeth in, in one picture, but not in another frame, uh, you know, are, are the pixels all lined up? Um, so they, they're developing ways. Um, unfortunately it's usually the good guys are half a step behind the bad guys. Yeah. Um, but but there is technology that's being developed um, at, at least for the for the videos, um, you know, just outright false stories and things like that. Um, you know, facts unfortunately are um, being debated. You know, science is being debated. Um, so it, when you've got that kind of of culture that's attacking. Uh, things that we've all commonly agreed on, um, you know, you think about the flat earth movement and and how much traction that got, yeah. you know, I'm, I, 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 I write about conspiracies 
right? You know, yeah. Cleopatra's vendetta is is it's it's a it's like the ultimate conspiracy. I love conspiracies, but they're fun fictionally. You know, the flat Earth. Okay, so to believe that, you've got to suspend hundreds of years of scientific understanding. You know, you you've got to believe that you know all of the the nasa scientists as they send stuff up into space that look back onto the planet you have to believe all that stuff isn't true so you really have to kind of warp your mind around um around things and and think that all that is some sort of conspiracy and for what purpose right um so it, well, it just kind I, I of do, fascinates i do know the me. purpose <laughs> what's what's the purpose of the flat earth movement uh the flat earth movement uh if you pull the thread i think I've, I th- we've discussed this on this podcast several times it is an anti-semitic uh the the root of it is anti-semitism it's uh like anti-zionist it's all about the conspiracy of the uh the Jewish Zionists trying to control the world. This is actually, if you can trace it all back to the first guy who wrote the book about flat earth mm. and he's a, uh, he was a neo-Nazi. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like with most of these really fucking idiotic conspiracy theories, you know, hollow moon, mm-hmm. flat earth, all this stuff mm-hmm. that all, uh, practically every single one, if you just start talking on the thread and unravel it and find where it started, it always mm-hmm. starts with mm-hmm. anti-Semitism. It's kind of it's baffling, <laughs> but like I just mm. feel like the the dumbest ones because that's the thing is like like you said you write conspiracies but you write um like fun intriguing well thought out well researched conspiracies that are meant to be read right. as a novel and I feel like the ones that yeah the ones that these people are falling for online like QAnon it's written by the most unimaginative assholes <laughs> you know what i mean like you know we, we've got lizard vampires and it's you know and, it, and the things don't match up they don't they right. can't they can't even keep their conspiracy straight in their own narrative yeah so i don't know yeah you know. so that so that's interesting so so interesting nazi agenda behind that um, well, it's not so much. I mean, like, I guess you know, I use the word. I don't want to use the word Nazi so flagrantly because it's being used. It's being flung around by everyone right over, now. Over overused. But, yeah. But what I mean is, like, someone like Kanye West right now. He is uh, out. Here, you know, he's going DeathCon mm-hmm. three on the Jews and all this shit. It's because he. I don't honestly. I don't know if he's just doing it to be for attention or if he believes it. But yeah, it. He's it's drawing it sad, all from these, nonetheless, from these yeah. very popular conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. The the Jew mafia, the Zionists. It's all you know. So, ah, silly what, rabbit. What, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, you, what you gonna do? <laughs> hey, I I got a quick question. This is straight from yeah. the book. Uh, the Sons of Adam. Mm-hmm. They all get a tattoo. It's mm-hmm. uh an apple and a snake. Can you yep. can you explain that tattoo? to me like just the does it ha- does it have its own mythos does it have its own is there more to it than that it's just a gang tattoo yeah there is um so so the the 
how can I explain it without giving away too many spoilers? Um, I thought I had a feeling that might be the, a problem. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the problem is there's there's spoilers there, but they're they're related to. So the Sons of Adam is, is a very, very, very old organization, right? Old, even in Cleopatra's time. And, and so they've got their agenda and we find out kind of at the very tail end where this uh, agenda came from. Um, but it's, um, you know, it, there, there is, a, I'll, I will say that there is a relationship with the, um, the Adam and Eve creation story. Yeah. So you've got the, yeah, the, the apple and the, and the snake there. So there, there is a tie in there. Um, but I think if I give away any more, it would, it would spoil the, the story. Okay. I, I will not push it any further. I, that, okay. I won't push it any further. <laughs> yeah. You know what, guys? Yeah, we want to leave you, some surprise yeah, for the readers. You, you know, if you want to know what this tattoo is all about, which I don't even know yet because of those awful women on the plane who wouldn't stop drinking and getting louder and louder and louder. Now, right. I don't know what the damn tattoo is about, but I'm going to find out. I'm going to find out tonight. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, Avanti, I have to tell you something. You can text me. You can text me. All right. Yeah. Tell we we are getting dangerously close to the lightning round. Now I don't know if you know how the lightning round works. I'm guessing it's rapid fire questions. <laughs> it generally is, but you know what? It, it it morphs, and sometimes it's sometimes somebody gets something that's never been on before. You happen to be one of the lucky ones who had your lightning round is never been done on this podcast before, as far as I know. Uh, awesome. I didn't I didn't even write this lightning round, so I even I don't know what this is. Although <laughs> I know that it's a Mad Lib. This was written by okay. uh, this was written by co-producer Colleen. It's called The Map, a Mad Lib story by co-producer Colleen. All I told her was that uh, I had a, a guest on who writes mystery thrillers. Uh, I was I think I, I might have mentioned a little bit of my of my Indiana Jones uh-huh. thing. Anyway, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. This, right. this is the game section of the podcast. I have a feeling you're going to win. Are you ready to play? Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> All right. First thing. Adjective. Yellow. Yellow. Okay. <laughs> I promise this, <laughs> this won't be hard. Uh, a woman's name. Cleopatra. Cleopatra. Oh, I hope that makes this extra, extra awesome. Uh, company. CIA. CIA. The company. This is, this is getting yeah. The company. Forget right. Apple, man. CIA. Okay. Uh. Ooh. This is just same name as before. So I just write in Cleopatra again. Cleopatra. Sorry, I have to write this, or else I'll never be able to get through. <clears throat> Plural noun. Assassins. Assassins. A S S A S S I N. For anyone that doesn't know the. Antonym for assassin is dick dick out. <clears throat> okay. Uh, <laughs> famous document. The Bible. Bible. This is getting really, there's some intrigue. I'm, I'm really worried what the story might end up being. Um, <laughs> adjective. Gray. Gray. Uh, plural noun. Men. Men. Hell yeah. Really good picking one that doesn't have an S on the end. Uh, an, another plural <laughs> noun. <laughs> I promise we're getting close. Um, 
Knives. Knives. Can you can you see why I write thrillers? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Uh, place. This is much longer than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Athens. Athens. By the way, you're kicking ass at this lightning round, and I really appreciate your patience. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's fun. Mythical creature. Medusa. Medusa. I love her. All right. Celebrity. Gal Gadot. Gal Gadot. Wonder Woman. Okay. Action movie. Indiana Jones. All right. Indiana Jones. And this is the same name as before, so that's Gal Gadot. I've, there's only three left, I promise. Uh, noun. Jump rope. Jump rope. And place? Bari, Italy. All right. I am much more familiar with that location, thanks to you. Someday I hope to go there and not get roofied. Uh, oh, <laughs> spo spoiler that. alert. Shit. Oh, oh, you're a guy. Oh, yeah. Ah, don't worry about it. Okay, you're right. Uh, that's not entirely true. <laughs> uh, charitable organization. That's the last one. The Nature Conservancy. Nature Conservancy. All right. This is a Mad Lib co-written by Avanti Centre and <laughs> co-producer Colleen. <laughs> Guys, Let's this might it. this might be the next the next big uh Hollywood uh blockbuster of the summer. Who knows? <clears throat> the next New York Times bestselling story. <laughs> Let's see what we made. The map. <clears throat> Once upon a time there was a yellow lady named Cleopatra who had <laughs> an insatiable taste for adventure. But she was sad because even though she made tons of money, she hated her job at the CIA. One day, Cleopatra <laughs> was reading a book about assassins and discovered an ancient tale about a map on the other side of the Bible. She immediately went to her gray boss and said, I quit. She packed her bags full of men and knives and hopped on a plane <laughs> to Athens. This sounds fun. This sounds like a fun it story. Does. There she encountered many challenges, such as a fierce battle with a Medusa. That would be a fierce battle. Uh, fortunately, she's a woman, so I guess it wouldn't be that hard because she, she only turns men to stone, right? Am I wrong? Right. Okay. I don't know. Um, <laughs> a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious will-they-won't-they they encounter with Gal Gadot. Hell yeah, hubba hubba. <laughs> and physical obstacles rivaling those in Indiana Jones. But ultimately, Gal Gadot was successful in following the map. Oh, wait. Cleopatra was successful in following the map to discover the golden jump rope, the long lost <laughs> treasure of Bari, Italy. She sold it for a billion dollars on eBay and donated half the money to the Nature Conservancy. But more important were the friendships she made along the way. The end. <laughs> What a story. Thanks for co-writing that story, Avanti. What a story. Yeah. For my next, you know, my next <laughs> striker volume number two for the golden jump rope. I wonder if I uh, think it'd yeah. be a great satire. Yeah, yeah the, the golden jump rope. <laughs> uh will they won't they? Cleopatra Galgado and yeah, uh, and a fight it. with Medusa. This is gnarly. Oh, and a suitcase full of men and knives. Yeah. <laughs> or are they Mennonite knives? Ooh. <laughs> The options are limitless. The, the The limits are 
as far as your imagination will go. Avanti, I have one last question to ask you. It's the most important question of the day. Uh, where can people all find right. you? Uh, where can they check out your books, all that stuff, everything, all the good stuff to find Avanti Centre? Yeah, the books are available wherever books are sold. They can ask for them at their local um, library and get the librarian to to buy it. They can ask for it at their local bookstore and have the bookstore order it up. Of course, they're available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble online, um, Google, Apple. Um, for more information, vanops.net is shorter than avantisentre.com. So they can head over to vanops.net. They can watch trailers. They can sign up for my newsletter. They can, if they sign up for my newsletter, they get the first six chapters of my uh, debut novel, the, the three-time award-winning Vanops, The Lost Power Story. So yeah, head over to vanops.net and check it out. Hell yeah. Avanti, it's been absolutely a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, thank you for putting up with uh, me being kind of a silly guy, but uh, oh, anyway, the pleasure was mine, Doug. I, I can't wait to finish great. reading your thank book. Thank you. And uh, anyway, uh, thank you. Yeah, let me know what you think when you when you get her done. I will. <laughs>